Hello, I'm Kit Kennedy and welcome to Unchurchable, the podcast for anyone who thinks heck yes when it comes to faith and spirituality, but hell no when it comes to church. Over the course of the last five years, I've learned that there are a lot of different ways to practice faith in Christianity in a way that doesn't box you in, doesn't box God in, and lines up with your own personal sense of integrity. I've learned that just because church wasn't a safe or healthy place for you, God is not off limits. I never intended to delve into purity culture to the degree that I have, but the truth is this doctrine led many of us to believe that God valued our marital status or our past sexual activity more than he valued us. That damage takes a bit of undoing. Today's guest had a different experience of Christianity and purity culture to me. Zach Cave is a therapist now. He grew up as a Christian, not entrenched in one single church, but when he was 16, life began to throw him some curveballs that few of us would cope with as well as he has. I hope you enjoy today's podcast as well as I did. As usual, it carries an M rating. Um, enjoy. I love being a podcaster. I love it because I love a good story. I love connecting with people and I love hearing about the complexity and the uh, different perspectives and the highs and lows of of people's lives. Uh, And I also love drawing from their wisdom. Then our next guest is absolutely fascinating to me. Zach Cave has quite a life story and is currently um, a therapist and uh, Zach uh, volunteered to come on the podcast, which I'm absolutely thrilled about. So how are you today, Zach? I'm doing well. It's a, it's a wonderful evening. It's actually kind of cool uh, in Dallas, uh, Texas, where I live. So <laughs> That would be a, a rarity, little, wouldn't it? A little it? <laughs> cooler when it's usually like 90 degrees casually. <laughs> now, I work off Celsius, so um, I'm, I think that means like the high 20s, early 30s over here. So, uh, yeah, a bit of a warm one. <laughs> <laughs> so why don't you tell me a little bit about your work, Zach? Okay, so I, it's interesting. I, when I went to college, I minored in philosophy. I, I just love philosophy. I love learning. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so for me, what's kind of stuck to me is existentialism. Which is kind of okay. like kind of like modern stuff, um, and so you have this. I mean, this dude called Viktor Frankl is kind of like one of the big dudes in it. Um, yeah. But it's for I mean, and so that's kind of where my where my center is, and where I kind of start as a therapist yeah. is this like individual, creative, authentic, freedom of choice kind of mentality, and yeah. so that's that's what I pass on with my clients and stuff, and with my patients. And so that's kind of the base where I come from. And so I'm very artistic. I love art. I've got sculptures in my room, actually, mm-hmm. of things that I've worked on. And so that's also kind of what I pass on. And so, like, that's for me as a therapist and as, like, a person, I don't – and you you might hear this from therapists, some therapists. I make sure I try things before I tell people to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like that. <laughs> And so, and so, yeah, so that's with existential and then like mindfulness and like meditation. Mm-hmm. And there's this guy called uh, Adler uh, and he's taught, yeah. he also kind of goes with this existentialism, but it's this being creative and being authentic and kind of, he combines like sociology, which I love of studying people and studying groups, where psychology yeah. is very personal, very individual. He kind of combines them and says like, the people in your life, your family are like super important and like society and your community. And, and so I love that. That's me. 
I love that. I'm just about to start a postgrad in psychology and um, I'm, my aim is to go towards neuropsychology because um, I'm a geek like that. This is my second postgrad. Just <laughs> <laughs> a casual postgrad. Yeah, just a casual postgrad. You know, there's there's no addiction to studying here. There's no problem nope. here. Um, <laughs> certainly addiction to study debts. Anyway, um, that's a whole other thing. Um, I really like what you're saying here in, in that we can't like in psychology is very individualistic, but sociology is, is about the collective because um, it's hard to separate our experiences from that which goes on around us. So yeah. I'm also very interested in, in existentialism. I haven't delved too much into that because I've come from evangelicalism and I'm kind of deconstructing my way along. Um existentialism seems like it's very centered on the personal experience of the expression and philosophy and faith how did you kind of arrive there because it wasn't necessarily always your experience was it no um it's interesting because i loved calvin hobbs growing up i read Mm -hmm. it all the time and then i realized in my intro to philosophy class uh, freshman year that calvin hobbs is like talking about like heavy philosophical debates Mm -hmm. and like the scientific hypothesis and stuff like that. And so I thought it was interesting. But so my story is kind of complicated because I grew up like casually going to church. Like Mm -hmm. we said that we like my family was like, yeah, we go to church, but we would always like uproot, go somewhere else because, you know, they didn't like it for some reason. And so (laughs) that was never it was never like a huge part of my life. Um, like it was there. It was like, mm-hmm. you know, when people ask like, oh, are you a Christian? You're like, oh yeah, of course. Uh, Cause yeah. I live in Texas. It's the Bible belt. And if you don't say you're a Christian, then people invite you to church and it's just oh, awkward yeah, yeah. and comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, <Lord>. but <laughs> actually and... you might laugh at this. I'm, I'm new to the world of singledom. Um, <laughs> And I was on a dating app last night and I was like, just having a casual swipe. There's no point because we're in lockdown and no one's going on a date anyway. And I stumbled across a, like a a bio that literally said, uh, my life was terrible until I met Jesus Christ and blah, blah, blah. And it was a full on evangelical spiel. And I went hard left on that. I was like, no, this is too much. (laughs) So yeah, you know, I've never been invited to church via a dating app, but that that was a first. So my sympathies living in Dallas where, you know, if you don't go, you must be a heathen. (laughs) Yeah. And I, I was just actually watching married at first sight. Uh, and it was, oh my gosh, I, when I was like writing up my notes of like, what do I talk about today? Like it was triggering. I watched the second episode and like, they're like saying these things that like when, when I was dating, uh, my ex, which was when I was 16 years old, uh, and then we got married and stuff. Those were like some of the phrases that were said and of like, um, so my, my story is complicated. I, I'll jump around a little bit, but sophomore year, uh, I was um, 16 of mm-hmm. high school, uh, my grandparents, uh, were casually murdered. Um, Gosh, and, okay. and it was, so I say casually, I tried, I try to bring life to it. Uh, cause yeah. it's, you know, kind of dark. Yeah. Um, it's heavy stuff. So you yeah. try not to kind of, you know, <laughs> yeah, I get it. I get it. Yeah. Uh, but they're, they're missionaries in Mexico and they had been mm-hmm. missionaries for like 30 years. And wow. so like, I was just, and that was like right around the time I was probably six months in, of me dating this person and there was all these people at the church because she was church of christ and there's mm-hmm. all these people at the church where it was like everything has a purpose yeah. 
it's part of God's plan. Yeah. You know, something positive will come out of it. And I was yeah, like, right. oh my gosh, like, I don't, like, what, what do I even do? Like, this is like something I can't even process as a 16 year old. And no, let alone having to process it sunny side up. Like, yeah. You know, murder's murder. Because I was told at his church, like, God is good. He's all powerful. He's like all knowing. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, how. How how in the world could this like all knowing God, this all powerful God, like allow something like so tragic to happen? Yeah. And I just like and for years, like I just didn't know what to do with it because yeah. I was like, I'm learning about this God, but I like don't, I just can't wrap my head around it. Yeah. Other than there's evil in the world, I'm like, well, I get that, but like this is like horrible. Yeah. Uh, yeah. For, especially people who are like missionaries and like people yeah. who are doing God's work, like. Isn't like isn't you know good stuff supposed to happen to the good people? Yeah, right. <laughs> I've had that grapple. Like, why? Why does bad stuff happen to good people? <laughs> good stuff yeah. happen to bad people. It's not. It doesn't <laughs> seem right. Um, but I can't imagine processing it in that context. So you're 16. You're mm. in a church of Christ. You're dating this person. There's a heavy purity culture influence that's coming yes. in alongside that as well. That must have been yeah. a catastrophic time. Yeah. processing your grandparents murder yeah it was it was weird because it was like we had just started i mean it was like six months and mm. like in my previous relationship which like now i think about it, i'm like man i was young uh mm. when i was like freshman in high school which is like 15 i yeah. you know had a sexual relationship with that person and then mm. when i started dating this person and purity culture it yeah. was like we'll need to pray about this we'll need to like figure out a way to get past this of mm. me being sexual or having yeah. a sexual relationship and I was like, I don't like to me, it was just like, this is like, this is what happened in the relationship. It just like was. Yeah. And I was like, I don't understand how I need to get past it. But it was like, I couldn't talk about it at church because it was yeah. like, I was like a 16 year old. I was a minor. I was this kid, you know, I wasn't even married. And, yeah. um, and so, yeah, about six months in, uh, she introduced purity rings. And oh, so wow. from, from that point on, we had purity rings on and it was, I mean, it was weird because that's like just what our church did all the time. Yeah. And like I was expected to this to be this like strong, powerful spiritual leader mm-hmm. with knowing literally nothing about the church, to be quite honest, or like Bible stories or anything like that. Really? And it was yeah, I mean it was it was rough because I was like, I don't like that's not my natural thing. I'm not like this huge spiritual leader. I don't really know anything about it. And like I yeah, yeah there's a lot of like expectations as a man in that church. Now, this is a fascinating point to me because I've done two interviews on purity culture. One was with Erica Smith, and she's a Mm. sex educator. She wasn't raised inside church, but she does work with people as a therapist to try to undo some of the damage. The second one was with uh, Blair Rabin from Talk Purity to Me, and you're actually the third that this topic kind of, thank you, Um, the third that kind of weaves into this topic, and you're the first man that I've yes. spoken to. Now, for women, virginity is a, a huge issue for us, and but I've never actually spoken to somebody about what their experience of purity culture was like as a male. Is it different? What is that pressure like to be this, I don't know, um, Adonis-type, spiritual leader-type kind of Davidian, I don't know. <laughs> Yeah. What's that like for you? <laughs> I mean, I I know it is vastly different. I know that women are put under like a great amount of pressure to be like so pure all the time. Mm-hmm. 
and whatever. Mm-hmm. And and I know it's different for me, but it was as a man, I was like supposed to take this like very dominant role, mm-hmm. and like it was just very uncomfortable. Like I didn't yeah. I didn't want to be this you know like it was like very much a push because I was probably the per- only person in that age range for the youth group to like be a leader in the church and I was like I don't Oof. like I don't even know what that looks like um but it was kind of like I was pushed into it because like yeah it was their family were like pinnacles in the church and yeah. so her parents were like well we you know were high school sweethearts and so there's a lot of pressure <laughs> that was put on that relationship of like oh, we got to be high school sweethearts. And it's like, uh, we've been dating for like six months to a year. And I'm like, I don't, like, I don't even know what that means. Like my parents got married and then, you know, got at at, at 18 and then got divorced after they had uh, my younger brother. And so they're only, and so like, I don't really understand this whole high school sweetheart thing. Cause I was like, from my experience, it does not work out at all. Uh, (laughs) And tragically in divorce and fighting and fun stuff. Um, and so it's just, it was just all this pressure. Cause like I couldn't, cause the thing that like is different for me is that, uh, at 15, I was diagnosed with Klinefelter's disorder, uh, which basically means I have yeah. extra X chromosome. Okay. Um, okay. And so, yeah, that, that's interesting. Yeah. A lot of people wouldn't know what that means. <laughs> no. So tell me about the diagnosis of Klinefelter's and, and how that kind of affected you coming through. So that was the, so with Klinefelter's for uh, people that don't know, I mean, there's there's a couple of things that come with it and they don't really, they know some about it, but it's like some of this applies to some people and some of it applies to other people. And so yeah. it could be, for the most part with Klinefelter's, you don't produce any testosterone. So you have right. to take uh, shots weekly or monthly or however mm-hmm. people do it. Um, and then um, more often than not, uh, there's people who are mosaic, which means like they have like a half chromosome, which means yeah, they sure. could have kids. Uh, yeah. but for mine, it's full. And so it means I can't. Oh. And so like leveling with that, like, you know, that diagnosis at 15, like, you know, what the hell am I supposed to do with that? Mm-hmm. Cause I'm like a child. Uh, yeah. and they're telling me like, oh, you could like freeze some of your sperm if you want. When you become an adult, if you want to have yeah. kids, and I'm like, I don't like, what am I, what am I supposed to do with that? I have no idea. Yeah. Like, I'm barely figuring out high school. And so, I didn't... And re- you've, so, you've got high school. You've got yes. missionary grandparents that are murdered. You've got yep. infertility. Then you have kind of purity culture, uh, sexual shame, and be a leader. Yes. Be a spiritual hero sort of thing. That's a lot. That's a lot yeah. to process. <laughs> and, and I didn't even realize it at the time. Like, mm. even when I got the diagnosis, the doctor told myself and my mom, um, that like we couldn't tell anyone about it. Like it was so taboo. Like really? if people knew, um, because like some of it comes with like, um, I mean, really it's just like testosterone thing, not having kids. I mean, yeah. like wider hips. I mean, like yeah. you inherit some of these things from the X chromosome. Some people do, some people don't. It's just awkward. Yeah. So you're like, um, okay. Cool. Yeah. I'm like, cool. Thanks. But it was like, yeah. I couldn't tell anyone. Like if I told anyone, that like there would be shame they would think yeah i'm like her uh hermaphrodite like i'm this you know person with a vagina and a penis and i'm yeah. just like wielding it everywhere yeah because because <laughs> back um I'm, I'm assuming you're probably my age or a little bit younger um so kind of growing up in the 90s and early 2000s there wasn't such an awareness about 
what intersex means no. um, and and how to speak about it. And even now, I think in the LGBTQIA kind of community, um, I don't know whether there's such an awareness around how to speak about or interact with um, conditions related to being intersex. And that's what Kleinfelters can be, can't it? Yeah. Yeah, mm. and, and intersex is a, is a weird thing because I, like, yeah. pulled up the definition because I was like, I have to remember how to define it. But it's basically, <laughs> like, anyone who's, like, developed in childhood or have or born with differences that are, like, genitalia, hormones, internal yeah. anatomy, chromosomes. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, like, a lot of things. Like, you could have, you know, 46 chromosomes but have, be intersex. And, like, yeah. a lot of Kleinfelter's people, they usually don't realize that they are until they're married or they're in a relationship and they're trying to have kids and they can't yeah Um, so it can be a very you know subtle kind of underlying thing that doesn't show up until you know strange times in your life yeah um so you know so what was it for you that um you know like so you're 15 you kind of told about this kleinfelters um that would have been an internalized kind of like, was it a shame reaction or were you kind of a bit more laissez-faire? Like, oh, okay, this is just a thing. What was that like for you? It was it was weird um, because, like, the original reason we had gone to the doctor was that I was working out, I was eating healthy, and I was, like, trying to lose weight so desperately, but I could not lose any chest weight. <laughs> um, and so there's, yeah. there's a picture that I actually just recently posted on my Instagram that was me at a beach with my best friend and mm-hmm. his brother and a friend. And, like... It's not that I'm, like, skinny. I won't say that. Mm-hmm. But trimmer, obviously, than I am now. Yeah. Uh, but there's, like, all this extra breast tissue, which is, like, yeah. another thing with Kleinfelters. And so yeah. at 16, I actually got a mastectomy. Wow. Gosh. Um, And so my mom and the doctor, like, fought with insurance to, like, say that it was, like, not some cosmetic thing, that it was needed. Yeah. Um, but it was, again, like, something I couldn't tell anyone. They yeah. wouldn't understand. They wouldn't know uh, or know how to react. And so... And, and that was that was the difficult part of it, of hiding it. Uh, yeah. And there was a lot of these, like, feelings and emotions and, like, things that I wanted to express yeah. that are, like, more feminine. But, like, I was told that I had to, like, bottle it up, both yeah. with the church, because I couldn't mm-hmm. be, couldn't say that I liked flowers or that, you know, <laughs> or, or, or that I like, you know, being, like, dainty sometimes. Or, or, like, I had to, like, fulfill this strong, stereotypical male role. And I was like... Yeah everything inside of me is like this is not what i want in my life i don't want to do this yeah but it was like pressure from my parents and pressure from the doctor and the church and i was like i guess this is just what i have to be and it really wasn't until yeah. college until i realized that because uh, i'd always told it was kleinfelters and then college uh i took a class and i was like oh what i have is intersex and yeah, like wow. no one ever told me they're like oh it's just like this genetic thing like yeah. it's casual no big deal yeah but also don't tell people. Yeah, yes. <laughs> You're perfectly normal, but be ashamed and secretive about it, yes. is what I'm hearing there. So it's a big kind of clash. What you're saying there, because um, uh, like I've, I've recently separated from my best friend and baby daddy, who is, <laughs> is, is gay. He's actually yeah. downstairs working from home because we still do share a house and are still best friends, which I'm incredibly blessed to um not have lost my best friend and confidant over the course of a separation. Um, But over the last few years, as we were kind of grappling with his his sexuality and kind of uh, recovering from, uh, 
you know, our own religious trauma and his especially journey through um, all that internalised homophobia that comes with um, sexual orientation change ideology that you hear in, in the, from the pulpit. One thing for him is he's strongly egalitarian. He viewed us as a team, whereas I viewed myself as submissive. Um, and he would like, and I guess it was the leftovers of that complementarian ideology that has women as, you know, quote unquote, equal in value, but lesser in authority. And of course, um, yes. so I'd kind of put a cap on my ability to thrive or shine or think or, you know, speak about theology or any of these things. Whereas he was like, go for it, go for it. And, um, he didn't really identify as being this macho, over like overtly masculine, um, you know, head of the home. Mm-hmm. So he felt like he was acting in a role that he was never cast for in that he found himself dressing in less fashionable clothes than what he wanted to because he didn't want people to think he was gay and like yes. all of these different things. I'm hearing similar things from, yes. from you. Very much so. Yeah, that it was. Have, yeah, it was. It was difficult because it was like I had to wear like the drab, like browns and greens and blues yeah. and like those gross, like just patterns and stuff. <laughs> yeah, and like khaki pants. Uh, and then oh, I'm death like, to khaki pants! No, I'm so ashamed that I ever wore them. <laughs> They're so oh, ugly. Uh, so you kind of uh, pun not intended. Marry that with. Um, being uh, dating with, and, and it sounds like it was a fairly serious dating with the intent to marry under duress almost a pillar mm-hmm. in the Church of Christ Church, which I can imagine wouldn't have been that egalitarian. Um, no. Yes. So that must have plunged you into another dilemma. Yeah. Yeah. It, it had come to a point where I just had this thought in my brain where I was like, well, it's, you know, um, my thought process is like if you're not moving forward then you're moving backwards like there's mm-hmm. no like you can't just like sit because yeah. like if you sit you're either like going forwards or you're like going backwards and so uh, I just had this moment and I was like I mean it it sounds it sounds horrible but I was like I guess this is just like where my life is gonna go yeah. and I didn't really feel it felt more like an obligation I guess is the best way yeah. to put it where I was like, yeah. I don't really feel like breaking up because that's like messy yeah. and gross and like horrible and would disrupt everything. Yeah. And so I was like, it's just easier to, to just kind of give in. And so and so that's what I did, oh gosh. which was horrible. Mm. Um, and then, I mean, the marriage just like wasn't good uh, yeah. is like the best way to put it because it was just like all this pressure still from the church uh, just at yeah. a new location in Abilene uh, yeah. where I was like a college minister and... I was like oh, pushed into this role and they like want, you know, me to be super active and, you know, I'm going to a Baptist school and that's like, they're like, <laughs> we don't want to say that our college minister is going to a Baptist school. We're just going to say that him and his wife go to this, uh, church of Christ school. Yeah. Um, oh, wow. okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Sometimes I, I have a nervous tick where I laugh when I'm like, oh gosh, this is a lot. <laughs> And I laugh. Like, <laughs> that's because... that's 100% what I do. Cause, yeah, like, good, good. Because <laughs> laughing is like, I'm like, man, this is awful. Might yes. as well laugh about it because can't do anything about it now. Well, and that's it. That's that element of surrender that I think you have to reach 
after trauma um and 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 a lot of a lot of like you you're kind of speaking very casually about a lot of life experiences that must have just put in a lot of pressure on you to subdue your true identity your true expression of self and mute your hopes for the future in a lot of ways and you know can we call that trauma i mean is that technically traumatic or is it just a horrendous thing to go through i don't know but either way it's a lot to process yes yeah i've i've realized over the years that it is is traumatic just Mm. because it's you're not like i feel like the good response because i mean i was a kid then Mm-hmm. Of, of a parental is like maybe we should like put you in therapy because your grandparents yeah. were murdered yeah, or i mean it idea. finally it finally came to it of which again is another death in the family uh mm-hmm. when when my dad uh had committed suicide uh oh, my out. sophomore year of college and Oy. yeah and so wow. it was it really put me just in like i was already in turmoil anyways it was just kind of like buried down mm-hmm. but then this really just kind of like destroyed me because i was like how like how am i supposed to believe in this god that's supposed mm-hmm. to be the best thing ever he's supposed to be amazing good all-powerful mm-hmm. and like how mm-hmm. could this and i had people tell me like this is you know i know as horrible as this is it's part of god's plan something positive may come out of this and i was like i was like no fuck no. this yeah nothing nothing positive is going to come out of this someone is yeah. dead they're yeah. you know dead way before they should have been and like like where does this leave me and so i kind of yeah. just completely turned away i couldn't do yeah. it anymore mm-hmm. um just because it just had destroyed me at that point so how did your then wife and her family respond to that moment of deconstruction for you they or deconversion for you pushed me into doing counseling at the mm-hmm. at the local church of christ college yeah and so I did that, but I was just, I was so angry. Like I couldn't, like I, and I feel bad because I was probably just such a miserable person to be, be around for my best friend and for other people. Cause I was just like so mad. Cause I was like, yeah. how, how is this possible? Like how, how can I be like, I'm doing all the good things. Like I'm married, I'm going to church. I'm, yeah. you know, I'm going to a Christian school. I have plans to be a counselor and like, mm-hmm. all these things are happening. I'm like, why in the hell is this happening to me? So you obviously did go through with those plans to be yes. a counsellor, but obviously you took a slight pivot. Yeah. Tell me about that. <laughs> so, yeah, I took a pivot. It, it took me, it probably took me about a couple of years, honestly, to kind of deal with it. And mm-hmm. with it, I did end up uh, getting divorced. Uh, with the person I was with and it was and it was really a mixture of being in that emotionally abusive relationship yeah um and because it it like played off of like I was and I didn't realize it then I just thought I was crazy and like my depression kind of messed with me and some of the meds kind of messed with me of like messing with my memory yeah. And so I was always like questioning myself and like questioning my feelings and reality and mm-hmm. like all these things are going on and she's like making me feel crazy almost. Uh, yeah, the gaslighting thing. Yeah. And yeah. and so I'm always like vigilant because I was like there's something like I think at this point that there's something wrong with me. Yeah. That like I I don't know what happened but there's just like something wrong with me. But it, it took some time and that's kind of why I poured more into philosophy because I was like I have to – there's some way that I have to figure this out. 
Yeah. Like maybe maybe I can't figure out the God thing because mm-hmm. I was like, this is someone I can't see. Yeah. Um, I pray to this person, but shit doesn't seem to be happening. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so I kind of turned away and then focused on... It took some time, but it was it was really the mindfulness, yep. something that a counselor had suggested to me. And I was like, this is dumb. No one should do this. <laughs> dumb deep breathing and like counting my breaths. Oh, gosh. I've, I've thought all of this. I was like, tell me about fucking mindfulness and how to breathe once more. I've been yeah. breathing for more than 30 years, bro. Like, I don't need this. <laughs> I've gotten this long and I breathe all the time. <laughs> oh, gosh. That's that's I've 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 thought. I've thought a lot of these things. Um, I, yeah, like how can this God that is supposed to be so good witness my pain and witness my uh, repression of self and witness my internal agony over being forced into kind of a mold that I don't fit? Um, How can this God see that, know that? And yet that be the life that stretches out ahead of me. And mm-hmm. um, if you had have told me 10 years ago that I would be um, headed for divorce, I just never would have believed you. I would have thought that to be the worst thing in the world. I was taught that div- divorce was just not an option. I was taught that you stay yeah. in a miserable marriage. Um, because stay together got, for the kids. Yeah, for the kids. And, um, and I actually do have two kids and I love them to death. And for that reason, I know that the thing that they deserve most is two happy parents. And, um, you know, I don't really have a whole lot of choice in terms of the direction my marriage has taken because my baby daddy is gay and he deserves a happy life where he can be his authentic self. But I also deserve love. And yeah. he made that choice early so that we were still getting along. So there was no cheating. So there was, yeah. um, so that I was young enough to, to love again. But um, I'm finding that divorce is not the worst thing in the world. Being someone you're not for your entire life, that is bad. Being unhappy and having that, uh, that depression cloud follow you, that anxiety cloud follow you um, and impact your children that is bad like we know the statistics on children who were raised by a parent with a mental illness having a high percentage of you know a chance that they too will suffer from that so you know it's it's a lot to deconstruct i'm separated and happy and i see on your instagram profile i see a lot of happiness happening for you (laughs) Um, which is a beautiful thing so what are some of the keys that you've come across because um, I think I asked you on Inspire Instagram how you uh, identify faith-wise now, and you said Christian-ish yeah. with a love of philosophy and <laughs> a little bit of Taoism in there, and and I yeah. love it. I love that combination. So tell me about tell me about some keys that you've discovered to you know getting through and being happy, finding happiness. It it really and the, I think the divorce actually helped because uh, it was really just like freedom finally. Mm-hmm. Cause it was like, I could finally, cause we had separated for a bit and then we finally, and then we finally got divorced and it was, it was like this, when we had separated, I like already knew it was kind of over yeah. and I was like, I finally have like the opportunity to like be myself. Mm-hmm. And so it, it was, it was a lot of just like trying on different clothes and like looking <laughs> at like things yeah. that I like, like, and, yeah. um, and even while I was married, like 
half of my shoulder is uh, a flower tattoo. I mean, it's just all these flowers and stuff. And so it was like, I finally felt free. And so it was a mixture of, I was freeing myself from a relationship that was entrapping me basically. Yeah. And then it was also, I did, um, because I mean, my parents were, they tried, but they also were a little bit abusive. And so Mm -hmm. it really took with, uh, doing EMDR therapy, uh, which is the rapid eye movement. Yeah. Um, okay, yeah. I'm thinking yeah. I should look into that for myself. What What is that? So the interesting thing about EMDR is, uh, and they've done a lot of research about it, uh, but it basically they put you either with like a laser or their finger or tapping or whatever it is, uh, and they lull you into like REM sleep mode, but you're uh-huh. awake. And so okay. kind of kind of the way that it works is because your brain is this giant highway system, essentially, or mm-hmm. a spider web. Uh, and so when you think of, like, having pizza with your kids on the floor last night, that yeah. also reminds you of other memories of maybe eating pizza even when, like, yeah. you and your husband were together or, like, yeah. or this, that, and the other. And so that's the way that our brain works is it just bounces off each other. And yeah. so when you have traumatic memories... They're like um, roadblocks in your brain, Uh giant chunks of concrete. You can't move past it. And like every time you recall that memory, it like triggers you and like Mm -hmm. sends you back into that and you feel all of that. And so with EMDR, you can process it better. And so talk therapy, they'll say like you could do talk therapy for like two or three years, but like you could accomplish that same stuff in like about a year of EMDR. Oh, okay. And so... You process through the emotions because, and that's what helped me is that everything that we feel and think, uh, our body also has a physical reaction. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. Which is like so clear when we're like we're angry and we feel hot, or yeah. we're anxious and like we feel butterflies. Yeah. And so it's the same thing. Like for my depression, I felt like as if I had cinder blocks in my feet and I couldn't move from this moment mm-hmm. that I was yeah. thinking of. Yeah. And it kind of just, it frees yourself from it. Where, like, obviously the trauma is still there. Obviously yeah. it's hurtful. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it removes a lot of the power that that yeah. memory holds for you. Yeah, uh, amazing. So that you can bring it back, but it's not like you're, like, triggered in that moment. Yeah, yeah. that's amazing. So you did EMDR. Yep. And you were also studying kind of counseling philosophy and that yes. sort of stuff at the same time. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, must... I studied a lot of Eastern religions when I was doing my undergrad. Mm. Yeah. So I find this all a little bit interesting. I mean, I guess technically in the, in the Ten Commandments, it says thou shalt have no other gods before me. It doesn't really mm-hmm. say about those that come after, really. It's just no. a hierarchical thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I used to kind of freak out when people talked about Eastern religions, but now I've got a couple of friends that are Buddhists and, um, gosh, just incredibly intelligent, smart people who have, um, you know, really seen a lot of benefit from learning to find that stillness and that... Um, you know, letting go of the control of having to be in control of your thoughts to kind of sitting back and just being able to notice your thoughts and just kind Mm -hmm. of, and I I think, I think what it feels like to me is surrender um, and, you know, being able to find a stillness so that you can actually change the things that only you can change and not worrying so much about the rest of what's going on around you. And that that's taken absolute years for me to be able to even (laughs) grapple with yeah (laughs) what was that like for you yeah that 
that was the hard part is I had to get past the, it's not just breathing techniques. Mm. You're not some monk on top of a mountain with your legs crossed, like humming and like holding yeah. your hands out and like some ridiculous shit. But it, <laughs> it was, it, it actually took, um, there's this app, it's called the Headspace app. Um, uh-huh. And I tried it out and I was like, I really like this. And the way that they describe it is you're not clearing your mind. You're It's like as if there's just all these cars and like they're on different roads and they're going in all these different directions. And like what we always do is like we chase after these thoughts. We run this way, yeah. we run that way, and we're like mm-hmm. so exhausted. Mm-hmm. And they're mm-hmm. like, no, just like recognize that the thoughts are there and they're driving past, but just like don't do anything about it. Yeah. Um, and that was that that was really the visual that I was like, okay, okay, I could do that. Yeah. And they and they had some like you know walkthroughs of like um, how to just kind of it's uh, called muscle relaxation, I think is what it's yeah. called. Yeah. And so it's like tightening your toes and tightening your feet and your calves and moving on up. Oh um, yeah, progressive muscle relaxation. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I've done that one. And not and so as that, often as I should. <laughs> yeah, and that's and that one was one that really helped me. Um, cause it just kind of helped me relax. And so it was, so it's kind of an interesting combination. Mm-hmm. Um, and like researching a lot of Eastern religions where it's like being, um, I'm going to butcher this. Um, no, go for it. I'm all about it. There's, okay. So I love this book. It's called the Tao of Pooh. Um, and I can't remember the author, but it's talking about, uh, Taoism or Taoism yeah. through, uh, Winnie the Pooh. And like the oh, stories of Winnie sense. the Pooh. <laughs> That's not the Pooh that I was visualizing. But no. Sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. Um, and it's so interesting because he, the author talks about like Piglet, who's like always anxious, always stressing about the future. Yeah. And you talk about Eeyore, who's like super depressed and always thinking about the past and how everything sucks. Yeah. But then you have Winnie the Pooh, who just is in the moment. He's like yeah. there, he's positive. But yeah. then like even when bad things happen, which they, you know, always do. Yeah. He just, I mean, he's there and he processes it. Yeah. And then they figure out a solution or maybe there's not a solution, but you just kind of like sit with it. Mm-hmm. And that for me, like I'm always like a going, going, going. I've got to do stuff. I've got to accomplish yeah. things. And I was like, man, I, it, it took me a while. It took a lot of reading of books and to figure out like, I just need to like sit with this and process yeah. it. And I can't just like jump from one thing to the other because that's not how you like process trauma or process the things that you're going through. I was like, I have to just allow myself to be present. Yeah. Now this, I think, is a very timely thing to be talking about. Um, I don't know whether you've been reading the news, but um, I live in Melbourne and it's just headed into its second lockdown, which is like uh, for coronavirus, COVID-19. And it's likely to last for another four weeks at least. I can't see it lifting at that point. Um, Sydney, another capital Australia, is going into uh, a second wave of the virus by the looks. Um, And all across the world, we have these these catastrophes there's little kind of little apocalypses everywhere and I, I note in the news today that we've seen donald trump uh yep. suggesting that they might delay the election and alleging yep. some male voter electoral fraud for which there is no current evidence by the looks it's it must be hard to find stillness in these moments if you haven't mastered the art of um surrendering and and finding that stillness of not chasing the cars in your mind i can see a lot of people who'd be trapped at home 
with their thoughts and their rowdy kids and their partners and their imperfect relationships. Um, and for a lot of people, this could be a very difficult time. I also do see a lot of people are coping really well with it. And if that's you, mm-hmm. fantastic. But oh. for those of us who are going, I'm observing a cultural moment that is bringing up all of these feelings of powerlessness and all of these feelings of anger and on whatever it is, how, how, how do you start? So for me, it's, it's starting small, um, Mm -hmm. because like, I want to be like, there's these wonderful intersex act advocates like pigeon, Mm -hmm. uh, that are just like these beautiful people that Mm -hmm. like are fighting for intersex rights. And like, I want to do that, but I'm like, all right, I need to like start an accomplishable goals. And so I have this, it's kind of hard to describe over talk, but the something that helped me with, even with my anxiety, performance anxiety, especially when I was in grad Mm -hmm. school was mm-hmm. that they're like, imagine like those old like Roman buildings with those huge pillars. Yeah. And they're like, so, you know, to keep the roof up, you need like several pillars. And yeah. so you have like three or four pillars. And for me, it was like accomplishable goals yeah. that I could do uh, because right now I'm unemployed. And so like yeah. I'm at home and I've been at home since April and it's mm-hmm. been horrible uh, <laughs> yeah. at yeah. times. Yeah. But it's mm. like small accomplishable things. So like sometimes it's like I'm in my bed in the morning. That's like yeah. something small that I can do. Um, or like yeah. a lot of times on the Kleinfelter's pages, there's like a lot of misinformation about intersex. Because yeah. a lot of people think, because it has the word sex in it, that it has something to do with sexuality. I don't know why, yeah. but people yeah. do. Um, <sighs> yeah, and and so it's a lot of... Communicating and like the yeah. page that I'm on, it's like a lot of mothers and stuff, and so they're mm-hmm. really concerned for their kids, which mm-hmm. you know was what yep. my mom was. Uh, yeah. And so, for me, it's finding it's finding small things that you could do. I mean, like yeah. the Headspace app, it's like the first 15 days are free or something, and they kind of yeah. like walk you through it, and then it's like a Great. subscription. Um, yeah. But there's other apps too, but it's yep. just like, I guess for me, it's like finding three, a couple of things that you could do for yourself. Yeah. Uh, and then maybe some kind of outreach thing. Maybe you don't want to go to a protest, which <laughs> in America, there's a lot of yeah. Black Lives uh, yeah. Yeah, there's protests one and things. happening in Sydney next week, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and, I mean, it's, it's, it's not, uh, the state of the world is not good. And especially mm-hmm. when you have Donald Trump and like this ridiculous <laughs> doctor that he hired. Who oh, believes gosh, in like yes. a demon sperm or something. And <laughs> Like you, you think like surely, like surely, like my sister was like, "Did I hear something about demon sperm?" And I was like, "You are correct. This is <laughs> oh something god. that a literally accredited doctor believes." Oh my gosh! Um, and it's I mean it's so hard because you're like, man, like I surely I'm going crazy. Like everyone in the entire world probably thinks we're this giant clusterfuck, and we. Are. <laughs> And I think it was perhaps best given, I don't know, personification. But was it was it that doctor who did the opening pitch and it was let's say social distanced from the uh from the the pitcher's plate. It just didn't even go anywhere near it. It was quite funny. It seemed like a metaphor for America at the moment. Um, so Yes. <sighs> Dreadfully sorry. 
<laughs> um, okay, so this is this is interesting. Now, um, I'm totally happy to go over time with this podcast, of by course. the way. Um, <laughs> so a lot of us who are kind of type A people, um, and if we're going to use the Taoism of, of poo, we're probably a little bit like rabbit, mm-hmm. a little bit like needing to have control over things and needing to do things and accomplish things. We might be thinking of accomplishments in an unhelpful way at the moment. Um, accomplishments in this moment doesn't have to mean the same thing as it does in a, in a time where we're allowed out of our houses and we have jobs mm-hmm. and we have a booming economy. It doesn't have to be starting a new arm of your business or like hitting a new fitness goal. It nope. can actually be getting out of bed and having a shower and watering your plants and, you yeah. know, like cleaning your house. Like, yep. Those can actually be accomplishments. It can be calling a friend to connect with them, or it can be, um, you know, small acts of advocacy like you were describing. Um, I really like that is that we need to uh, stop thinking of accomplishments as these big kind of certificate on the wall moments and actually start thinking of them, of them as things that we can do in this moment and I, I like that you put connection or outreach is how you mm. how you worded it there but yeah. um but yeah connection is important and and changing our ideas about accomplishment is important so um i really like that um for people whose kind of deconstruction from faith has started at this time um i'm going to ask you what you'd um what advice you'd give them and i'm, I'm just going to frame it by saying church is largely online at the moment and mm-hmm. where it used to be an in-person experience where you'd have to go to church and you there was music and there was kind yeah. of participatory things now it kind of it's almost like watching a tv show mm-hmm. there'd be a lot of people whose religious trauma is triggered on their facebook page on a sunday now because everyone's sharing the link to their live stream and going come and join us at church and we don't want to yep. be invited um so in these moments for people who've started their deconstruction then, um, what advice would you give them from, yeah, whether it's about trauma or whether it's about kind of centering themselves and finding their own identity? What would you, in your, yeah, what would you tell them? There's there's a couple things. For, for myself, it was realizing you, that you just need to be patient with yourself. I mean, mm-hmm. healing from trauma, spiritual trauma, religious trauma, whatever it is, it... <laughs> Even as myself, I was like, I could just rush through this if I just push through therapy. And that's just, Mm -hmm. like, not how it works. Um, And so it's just being, for me, it's realizing that you need to be patient with yourself uh, and that it's a process. This process takes, you know, uh, it just takes whatever time it is for each person. And so it's, you can't, like, be like, oh, that person has PTSD and it took them no time at all to be normal Mm -hmm. uh, or what looks to be normal. But, like, realizing that, you know, we all have a lot of internal shit going on. Uh-huh. Um, and so between that for me and then also, like, even for me, like, the online church stuff is still triggering. Uh, yeah. Because it's just, it's like, it's, it's a reminder. Yeah. Uh, you know, the awkward hugging and the touching and asking oh. about weird things. <laughs> um, yes. Yeah, so uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, it's education because it kind of it kind of goes back to that mindset of if you're not moving forward, you're moving backwards. Yeah. Which kind of be like of a very um, whiplashy kind of feeling. But I feel like I mean, it doesn't have to be go listen to you know a church recording. But it's like 
I really like the liturgists because they kind of give this nice viewpoint where some yes. of it's spiritual, some of it's like agnostic and scientific. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it very much like satisfies that philosophy part of me yeah. because like, you know, people recommend this book and that book. And I mean, even with uh, among therapists, some say this book is better or that book's better. And so like that's, I mean, that's the difficult part. But like yeah. it's realizing that you're just a person. You're not yeah. going to be fixed in a day. Yeah. But be constantly educating yourself. Yeah. Um, yeah. I yeah. like that. Um, I think back in one of my most, my one of my darkest times, which was sort of just before we actually um, exited or were exited from, I, I don't know how, you, how yeah, my, my dad's church. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I'd actually suffered four miscarriages over the course of a year. And um, it was a really dark time. And someone that I went to for counselling during that time who actually had post-traumatic stress disorder um, from combat, um, he, he said God has big shoulders. He can deal with you going mm. through your shit and taking your time. And that... Although I don't think he said shit. I think that's probably me. Me accepting that <laughs> yeah, you can yeah. love Jesus and say fuck a little, you know? Yeah, yeah, it's, of course. Yeah. <laughs> it's authentic. I mean, if it's you don't authentic. say fuck a couple times or shit or something, like, they're like, okay, like, we know you're dealing with them shit, but, like, please just, like, verbalize it. In a don't nice, like, tidy way. Yeah, yeah no. It's <laughs> not a happy um, ever after. Yeah, exactly. I I always used to think that, you know, anger was not a Christian emotion or like sadness, if it was prolonged, was not a Christian emotion. And I'm now realizing that God made us in this spectacular array of human expression, of gene expression, of color of skin, of gender and sexual identity and of attraction and, you know, an emotion is in there. And if we don't, if we try to mute these things, if we try to suppress them, they become unhealthy. So if Mm -hmm. you try to mute sadness, it's going to manifest in your body um, as depression or it's going to find an outlet um, because it has to. If you try to suppress anger, it has to find an outlet and it can become these, you know, anger management problems. And what it is, is just we've got to accept our humanity in all its forms. And yeah. um, yes, I'm on my soapbox, but I'm a fierce defender <laughs> of yes. LGBTQIA. I'm learning about intersex. And thank you so much for um, the, the wisdom that you've kind of passed on today. And I do have a couple more questions on that. But, oh, of course. Um, I guess it's, you know, you can take your time and God's not going to reject you for going through a dark moment. No. God's not going to reject you for seeing the divine in practices like meditation or practices like Taoism. He's, he's not going to reject you for engaging with philosophy. We don't have to have this black and white siloed thinking about spirituality in order to be acceptable to God and I, I've had to deconstruct my fear of hell around that um, and you know consequently I'm seeing the world as a more beautiful place um, yeah. now that I don't sit in judgment of it and yeah. don't sit in judgment of myself and or in judgment of other people um, and it's really it's a really beautiful thing so um, I do encourage people to engage with philosophy however you do it best if you're not a reader find a podcast yeah. <laughs> like this one subscribe um yeah <laughs> or, it's like the interpol know, the, churchable podcast or something like that you know yeah something like that or the liturgists or yeah. whatever it is 
that makes you think and that gives your soul a, a place to express itself and yeah um so yeah then th that's my soapbox and i've lost <laughs> my train of thought so yeah so the um you've mentioned a couple of apps and you've mentioned mindfulness practice and you've mentioned that real observation of thoughts rather than chasing of thoughts mm -hmm. you've mentioned time and i think that's an important thing mm. um so and like i said i see a lot of happiness on your on your page at the moment yes um I see, do I see a significant other as well? I do have a significant other, yeah. Um, she <laughs> so, is wonderful. So, kids, there is life after. <laughs> yes, there is life yeah. after. That you're. It took me a while to realize that, like, just because I'm divorced does not mean, like, I'm this, like, damaged mm -hmm. good, which is, like, what the church had always, like, taught yep. me, was that I was, yep. like, a less than person. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, we... Yep. Uh, Actually, just celebrated uh, five months uh, a couple oh. a couple days ago, and um, I saw some beaming grins on your Instagram page, and I love yes. that. Um, so, you know, to, to all those kind of kids out there who are, you know, maybe feeling well, kids or young adults or old yeah. adults like me, <laughs> who are who are kind of looking at life, going, oh, you know, I guess it's an, an encouraging moment that you can find someone who sees you for who you are and allows you to express yourself in all you know in, in who you are and that's yes. a beautiful relationship that's kind of that's worth shooting for i think isn't it yeah well and mm -hmm. and and i really thought like like surely like no one's going to accept me for me with this you know divorce and being intersex and wanting to you know express myself by like wearing flower ties and flower shirts and yeah. you know these bright fluorescent colors or you know things that are not the typical man color um and turns out it's possible yeah i was like oh wow this is actually lovely i really enjoy yeah. this yeah that's beautiful so um in terms of in terms of the intersex discussion i we kind of hopped around it and kind yeah. of revisited over the course of the conversation um you know it's not it's not a particularly common one but mm -hmm. what do you wish people knew about um discussing this um this phenomenon or engaging with people who are intersex in a respectful way because i find that it's hard to get good information on this um it's it's interesting because it's it's one of the few things that people are like um when i say i'm intersex sometimes they'll be like so does that mean you have like both genitalia? Uh, or usually they'll they'll like they'll look at me and they'll like kind of like walk in and like whisper it like, does that mean you have a penis and a vagina? I'm like, I'm like this is like a weird place that I'm at where I'm like people are comfortable asking me about that, which is like so personal. Yeah, uh, and, and none of your never damn business. Do it to anyone else? Oh gosh. <laughs> <laughs> but it's I mean it's like to me it's like anything else with like LGBTQ plus or LGBTQIA yeah. is like you know, asking about my experience and like how things are. Cause like for me, I present mm -hmm. uh, male. Um, yeah. I mean, that, that is my gender. And, but I, I mean, outwardly with a lot of intersex people, we look like just normal everyday people. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's just, which is also means like there's a lot of internal stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yep. And like some intersex people will, you know, be, there'll be like intersex male technically or intersex female, even though yeah. intersex is the sex 
I always have mm-hmm. to like clarify with people, but yeah. they'll, you know, maybe decide to be a different sex or like be male or be female and stuff. And it's just like understanding that like our lives are just like a journey and yeah. you know, the things that I'm experiencing, you know, I'm lucky in the sense of a lot of intersex people experience, um, uh, genital surgery. They're, they actually just got a win. Um, they posted it today in Chicago, a children's hospital, mm-hmm. apologizing for all the intersex surgeries because they kind of oh, have this wow, this thing where if it looks like a clitoris or if it looks like a penis or they yep. think it does, they'll pressure the parents because you know the parents want want what's best for their child. Uh, yeah, and they'll say like you know oh you need to do the surgery so we can make it look more female or make it look mm-hmm. more male. And it's usually a lot of surgeries when you're a child, you're not consenting. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah true. And so it's, I mean, it's very traumatic in that aspect. And it's, yeah. um, I mean, once you have a surgery when you're a child, it's kind of hard to go imagine. back to, you know, what you were, how you were born, I guess is the best way to say it. Yeah. Now, we're increasing in our awareness about these things, which is a beautiful thing. But in the meantime, what I'm hearing from you is not to be dismissive of um, of people's experience because people's experience is often greater than their, um, you know, their internal experience is often more significant than or as significant as their physical appearance. And do not, guys, do not ask people what's between their legs. That's none yeah. of your fucking business. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. Not now, not ever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, the, the thing is, is like, you know, and that's, that's kind of the struggle with intersex sometimes is like, we don't, or at least myself and some other people, like, you know, sometimes we just aren't super outwardly about it and expressing mm-hmm. about it. Uh, and like, it's, that's okay. Like you could be intersex, you can be a part of the LGBTQIA population and you yeah. don't have to be like the stereotypical look, like yeah. just like be you and so that's kind of the thing for me is i kind of like went through this like gender dysphoria thing for a bit and like Mm. trying to figure out like you know what do i want to express myself as a gender and i mean it's still a process it's not like and it's not like i've defined it and now i'm here and i'm set um that's kind of something my counselor had, had told me is like you know you don't have to like worry all the time about these labels yeah um like this label can be important because it can help define you and kind of help you feel centered but like at the same time like don't feel so pressured to be like well i'm non-binary or i'm pan or i'm you know whatever it is and so it's just like you know maybe sometimes you feel like this or sometimes you feel like this other way and it's like that's okay that's Mm -hmm. your experience it's unique to you yep and uh that's is important it's why you know i I don't i don't tend to go looking for greater meanings of why we were put on this earth but you know each one of us if we can be our authentic self we can add so much color and life to you know our, our experience or the experience of other people so authenticity is a brilliant and healthy way to live but sometimes it takes a little bit of working to get there so thank you so much zach cave for coming on the podcast today tell us about where we can find your socials oh yes i okay i love this it uh my social i mainly just use instagram you can like be friends with me on facebook but it's like i just repost what i do on instagram yeah um because i'm basic like that yeah um but on instagram it's 
uh, I was just about to pull it up. It's the underscore chill underscore caveman. <laughs> My last name is Cave. I've always been, you know, called Caveman growing up. So it's just kind of a <laughs> I love fun it. little play there. Well, the chill caveman. Is that cave, therapist, philosopher, sculptor, all of the things. It is wonder- It was wonderful to have you on the show today. Thank you for walking us through your journey. And I really hope that people got some valuable uh, lessons from this incredible journey out of trauma and into a healthier way of being. Yes. Thank you so, Thank much, you so much for the opportunity. It's an absolute pleasure.